Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. All right, welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. My name is Warren Coughlin, and I'm your host. I talk a lot about designing a business that matters, and today's guest is absolutely ideal to talk about this with us. Karen Asprea is an interior designer extraordinaire. She's designed and project managed over 5 million square feet of new development for some of the top names in the industry. After growing an interior design company to over 20 employees, I think it was, she set out to open her own design studio, the Karen Asprea Studio, which isn't just design, actually. It's a multidisciplinary practice that combines design, project management, and value engineering, and collaborating with architecture to create a what I think she describes a truly comprehensive approach to interior design. Karen, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us on The Spotlight. Warren, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. I'm very excited for our interview today. Oh, me too. So I want to get into lots of stuff about you and your background and the work you've done. But first, can you talk a little about this multidisciplinary approach? It sounds innovative. Can you can you describe a little? There's a lot of people who are listening or entrepreneurs, but may not be in the creative services or in the design field. So what, what does that mean? And what took you to that place? Yes, absolutely. So in my experience, um, working with other design firms, like working for other design firms, I always found that there was some disconnect between the design team and every other part of the project. So you would have the designers designing and either the designers didn't understand how the designs impacted the budgets and schedules of the projects or the end user was walled off from the design process and they also didn't understand how what the designer was doing and the beautiful pictures that they were showing impacted their schedules and budgets. And there just seemed to be like, you know, there there was no one kind of filtering that information. There was no middle person kind of communicating that information to both sides. So I felt pretty strongly that if you if you are a designer and you're going to deliver an end product, like you kind of have to see it through every single stage. You right. can't just design something and hand it off to, you know, contractor or whoever is taking care of the project management. I understand that it's tempting for everybody to do that, but at the end of the day there's just so many questions and so much coordination that has to happen. Um, felt that it was really important to include those services in my own practice. So um, I, I do do all of that. It's I do the design work and me and my team will also project manage. We're the liaison basically between the client, like the residential end user and the vendors and the sub trades and the contractors to make sure that what is designed and agreed to by the client is actually what's built. So my team does the purchasing of all the materials. Oh, okay. 
And what's the what's the impact? Uh, like, has it had the desired impact? Like, are, have projects gone smoother? Are clients happier? Like, is this, this sounds you know, like an innovative approach, and it has a desire? Has it had the desired outcome? I personally, I think that it has because you know, I I have some projects where the design is handed off, and inevitably, six, eight, ten months, two years down the line, I'll get frantic phone calls. We can't find this. Where did you get it? How much was it? Who do we need to call? Like, is it in stock? So, you know, in an attempt to avoid those fire alarm uh, type of phone calls, I try to manage that from day one. So I will hand a client my design package and also the price tag associated with that design package, you know, within reason, the price will fluctuate, obviously, like changes get made along the way. But I think it's really important to be comprehensive. Now, you said that you, in one thing you wrote or or participated in, you said you'd like to build a design story from the building history and the surroundings. I thought that was kind of an interesting idea. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like for people not in the world of design, that idea of a design story, maybe kind of unfamiliar. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that uh, statement, per, that's a little bit more directed towards commercial type of work. So I do um, I do a lot of design for uh, larger like development type of projects where it's condo buildings, rental buildings. And in those cases, there's marketing teams, um, a sales team or a leasing team, depending if it's condos or rentals. Um, and there's a group effort to approach the market with a storyline. So what we do, what the design team does is that we'll go out into the neighborhood um, and take reference either from historical properties, from the landscape, um, and just make sure that the project is like contextual to the neighborhood and sensitive to its surroundings. And then the marketing team who's doing the sales or the leasing, like they use that inspiration and that concept. They boil it down to maybe like one or two simple, you know, marketing taglines. And that's how they market the whole project. Mm. So it's really about a marketing strategy. Okay. Like I've got a client that does landscape architecture and she has a similar she has a few different approaches, but one of them is to create a narrative that the design, how it fits into the environment as well. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about Karen. So how did you get your start? And and again, for folks who who don't know design, when you're when you're working for others, um, I'm interested in this part of the transition about how does your own personal design aesthetic develop. Or, or does it, in fact, like I know some designers who pride themselves on being flexible enough to just embrace the aesthetic of anyone they work with. But in your case, like you started, you know, young, you got into the firms and then how do you, how do you, like you, because you're on your own and you're dealing with, with pretty high net worth folks and projects, you must have a thing that they, they love. So where did that, where did that all develop? Well, I think that the, the start of that was I studied at Pratt um, in Brooklyn Pratt has a sister school in Copenhagen called DIS. So I did the study abroad program in my third year at Pratt, and we were sent to Copenhagen. Um, We mainly stayed there, and then we studied in Sweden and Finland 
as well. And I was there for maybe three or four months, I believe. And that had a tremendous impact on my own aesthetic and the way that I understood design. And even though that was a long time ago, I still see and feel like I I feel very connected to Scandinavian type of Mm -hmm. design aesthetic. And even though my personal aesthetic and what you see in my projects is probably a little bit more modern, though the bones of that Scandinavian design is still in there. So that, that was like the seed that's, I think that's where it started. Um, And then, you know, working for like, I worked for Costas Candilis. That was a very um, famous architect and he was the developer's architect of New York. I also worked for Robert Scarano. Um, He was also a developer's architect. So there was a mixture of things Mm-hmm. that brought me to where I am today. Like we had the influence of the Scandinavian design, which I think is still pretty prevalent in my, in my design work. Um, and then you have the flexibility, like the required flexibility when you're dealing with like larger type of development projects, because I'm melding my personal aesthetic with the market desire, Right. And then, you know, the, with the names you identified working with, you, that's a great opportunity when you work with leaders like that. How important was that kind of mentorship to, to your development? I mean, tremendously important, tremendously important. I think that my personal design aesthetic is like, you know, is something that is innate, but learning how to apply it in a way that is buildable realistic and can be appreciated that's what i really learned like the technicalities of how this happens the understanding of how the financing within a project works really helps me as a designer design things that are realistic to build right yeah so that that part of it is something that you can't learn in school. That's something that you need to learn on the beat kind of, um, and, and also be very open to it because sometimes, you know, when you're feeling creative and somebody says, Oh, you know, you can't do that. There's a a code that we have to follow. And, you know, you get discouraged. There's, you kind of have to turn that part of your ego off a little bit and not get discouraged by it and just keep on Right. You know, moving forward. And that's, I think that's such an important skill set to learn, not just, not just in any design discipline, but just in in entrepreneurship or business ownership as well. You can have, anytime you have a vision for something, you have to understand both the constraints and the resources necessary to actually realize the vision. I find find sometimes people are too, are too caught up in articulation of vision without getting into the nitty gritty of how you can actually realize on it. And then they wind up getting disappointed because, you know, it wasn't attainable given what they had at that time. Right. Of course. And, and this, now it comes full circle into my business now where it's just so important to talk to your client about schedule, money, timeline, trades, while you're talking about the design. This way they understand the decisions that they're making. And so when did you, 
when did you make the decision to jump from the world of, you know, so you started working for others. Um, when did you make that jump to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into this crazy thing called entrepreneurship now. <laughs> I think it's always been in me, you know, even when I was uh, working for other people, it, it, it was in there, but I didn't really discover it fully um, until there were some challenges for me. Uh, it started with a medical challenge. Um, I'll be open and tell you that I, I went into kidney failure in 2018. And right at the same time, I had had uh, what I'll call a disagreement with my previous partners that, you know, just turned into a situation where I I couldn't stay and work with them and the result of that was that I left and started my own business. Um, so there, you know, there are many challenges here. Like this was not easy by any stretch. Were you starting your business while you were experiencing the medical challenge or did you, was that sort of a transition? Once you got through that, you started the business. Oh no. Well, what happened was, um, my previous partners had done something that I found to be just like against my moral compass. And I told them that, and they had a, you know, they had a problem with it and they were the ones really who wanted me to separate from them at the end of the day. Um, so that was pretty shocking to me because they had done something that was um, wrong. I'll just say the word wrong, very wrong. Um, so I did have to start my business basically recovering from like a massive renal surgery. Wow. Like I was, I was, I had always wanted to have my own business. Um, and I was kind of walked into a partnership with a larger firm probably before I was ready. But, you know, when you're young and you're so eager to please people, to be successful, like it's an easy yes when an opportunity is presented to you and everything like seems great. But, um, you know, my dad always says, if anything seems like it's too good to be true, it probably is. And he's right. right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I wound up uh, starting my own firm in 2000, like the very end of 2018 into 2019. And just, you know, I had incredible support from people in the industry who had known what kind of challenges I was up against. And, you know, I'm forever grateful for the amount of support I received. That's awesome. Now, so there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in there. You know, we could probably talk about this for a long time, but I'm interested on, I, I often say that sometimes life's greatest gifts come in really ugly wrapping paper. Um, and it sounds like one of those. So you, you had this experience of people um, making decisions on values that weren't aligned with yours to say, you know, more. Yes. Politely, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. um, how does, how is that influenced how you lead and how you manage now? So, the way that I do things, and I I said this before we started recording, I am honest to a fault and probably even more so now. 
Um, when it comes to leadership, I think it's so important for me to be open and transparent with my team. Like, for example, I'll sit down with my team and review the proposals that I'm giving to my clients to make sure that I've allotted enough time and fee so that they don't feel um, overwhelmed and so that they understand the time constraints of a project so that there is no feeling of like, oh, you know, maybe um, Karen expects too much or, um, you know, we didn't talk about this and now I have three projects that I can't handle. Like I try really hard. Like I don't do that. I will sit down with my team and ask them, do you think we can take this project on? This is how much time it's going to need. Like, let's go through the schedule and make sure we can take it on. And if we can't, then I won't. Good. And then you, you, and you respect their input. Absolutely. 100%. They probably know better than I do. In some cases, I I just I'm asking this because I always find it interesting. I I had a very similar experience where somebody um, basically did an end run around me on a business. And while it was painful, it actually it taught me. Right. Like one of the main lessons on that is don't go into business with people who don't share your values. Like it's a very simple proposition. We can always rationalize around not doing it. But once you've had the experience and you say, okay, that's just from now on, that's just a basic business principle. Yep. We're not doing business together. A hundred percent. And I take that approach with my clients, the contractors that I work with. Like if I get the experience that I had, I think allowed me to listen to my own instincts more. Mm -hmm. Like they're louder. And I listen to them now. Like there's been some, there's been some, what I'll say is like, you know, mental maturing through this because you're right. It is easy to rationalize things away, especially when there's a paycheck on the other end of it. I think that people are tremendously driven by money, especially when it's immediately available. When when you know when you could be satisfied immediately, it drives you to make decisions that you know maybe are not the right ones in the long run. And I just feel more comfortable now taking the time to make decisions, you know, with the next 10 years in my mind and not the next 10 months. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important for young entrepreneurs to understand that distinction between, because it's easy for them to get confused, right? Like if it's, if it's misaligned with your values, it doesn't matter how young or inexperienced you are. If it's not aligned with your values, then don't do it. But sometimes that gets confused. Right. With, well, I haven't been here before and maybe they know more than I do about skills. And so I'm going to defer to that person with more expertise. And I think there's, you know, yes, defer to expertise when it's around skills and pattern recognition and things like that, but around core of what you believe to be right and wrong, kind of hold fast. Exactly. I 100% agree with it. And I also think it's important to make the point of money isn't everything. I know that that's really hard when you're first starting out and you're an entrepreneur and you're hungry and you're you know, you're looking for like the next project, but it's so important to keep in your mind that money is not everything. If you are getting involved in a project that's more than you can handle, or if you're getting in a, in, involved in a project with people whose values don't align with yours, at the end of the day, nine times out of 10, it's going to cost you more 
money. You're not going to make money. It's going to cost you emotionally. You'll be exhausted and you won't be able to take on other projects, which would have been successful projects. Mm-hmm. And that, that goes, I mean, you've, you've built an organization with team and your current team is smaller, but you talk about that in terms of the team building too. And I say that I just had a conversation with a client this morning who said, I got into trouble because I'm so strapped to find people that I was just taking bodies and I, I stopped looking for that values alignment with my organization and it's bit me on the backside. Yep. It ha- Yeah. I mean, this is, so, you know, the previous firm I was with was a much larger firm and there was a lot of that. It's like, oh my God, we have this project. We need bodies to fill seats. And then you wind up with people, you know, the core values don't exist anymore. You know, there's no, reasonable hierarchy within the office it just it becomes very disjointed i think that it creates confusion even among staff and like your staff that's your marketing mm-hmm. like your employees and the people that you surround yourself with in your business that's your front line of your business marketing and i think that some larger brands don't understand that or they do and it's too much work to you know it's a lot to do the work to vet to to vet out the correct people um but at the end of you know at the end of the day like you have 20 50 100 people in a company that are unhappy they're going to go on glass door and they're going to write horrible reviews about you you know it's it's you know, headhunters are going to call them. They're going to tell the headhunters. The headhunters tell the vendors. The vendors tell other companies. Like, it just creates a marketing problem. And then when you present your brand to a client, let's say, it doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. You know, and people pick up on that. So it's really important it's really important. I can't even stress that enough to work with people and surround yourself with professionals that do align with your values. So, and so talk a little bit about, so what are your, what are the values of your studio? And I want you to like get rid of any false modesty because we, we talked a little bit before we recorded and there were a couple of things that really impressed me. One was how your clients have followed you. As I said, to me, that means when people do that, it's, that's not just because of technical skill. That's because they feel a relationship, like there's some sort of connection. And you also mentioned how, you know, relationship is worth more than the invoice. And so I just, how, what, what are the values that allow that to happen? And what, how does that manifest within the studio that makes it a special place that people want to work with? I don't, I don't want to use the word family because that's not really I don't like it when companies say oh like we're like a happy family here because that's always a red flag for me but I think that being familiar with people with your clients and building a trusting relationship with them is so important I take my staff with me Matthew and Xenia I take them with me to almost every meeting so they interact with the clients And when the clients are residential clients, it's usually a family and their children, you know, so 
being really sensitive to people's needs, I think is so important, especially when there's children involved. And like, you know, talking to my my um, design staff here about the client's everyday life, like, okay, he goes to work at this time in the morning and she has this going on and the kids have to do this. So like, let's really think about what this family needs in order to have a functional home that is also beautiful. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, Matthew and Xenia, like they they share the same feeling that I do where like you genuinely care about other people. You care about helping other people. Um, And it just makes the process a little bit more intimate. I think it's not like we're just putting pretty pictures on paper. Like we're really like talking to our clients and figuring out like what their needs are, what they need, how they function, how they like sit at their desk, how they use their, bathroom or their kitchen you know where do you want the appliances to go are you left-handed you know there's so much that goes into it right yeah that's probably easily forgotten just the convenience of that right and so um you know and i think also like i had mentioned this before but kind of setting your ego aside and really listening i think is tremendously helpful and i i I don't know how a creative service for somebody if you're not a good listener people want to feel heard people want to be heard of course they do you know they're they're seeking me out to basically interpret their thoughts into three-dimensional art that they can occupy it's a very involved process so on that what's the you know, this, this podcast is about people who want to have an impact while, you know, growing a successful business. So what, how would you describe sort of the impact you want to have? And I know you do that both at a volunteer level, as well as within your business. Can you just talk a little bit about what that difference in the world you want to make with the businesses? I think that being a designer, an interior designer, being a good interior designer, um, you really you really need to look at the way that people will occupy a space and consider it from all possible angles right like i'm creating three dimensional occupiable art at the end of the day like that's really what it is and having the impact of curating the spaces where people will live their lives where you know, delivery companies will come in with furniture where receptionists will stand at a lobby desk. Um, I think there's a great impact to that, even though people probably don't realize it. Um, I think that a lot of times people are in a space and, you know, it just kind of is what it is. And if they're comfortable in that space and they don't realize the elements in the room, it means that I I did a good job because they're comfortable there. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. There's there's a lot of work. We won't go too too down a rabbit hole on this, but there's a lot of work around psychological safety um, in both home environments and work environments. And your physical environment is a major contributor to senses of psychological safety, which then improves productivity and mental health and, and all the rest of it. So I think you're right that the design elements um have a big impact on that. And you you do some work with uh, the Bowery, uh, is it the, the Bowery yeah. Foundation? The Bowery Mission. 
the Bowery, the Bowery mission. mission. And that that's about creating space for people who otherwise may not have uh, a lot of people dedicating attention to that. So how, can you talk a little bit about what you do with them? Yes. So um, I have a client um, who owns a furniture company. And basically what he does is he donates full scale renovations to the Bowery Mission, which is a real large scale um, homeless shelter in New York. So they have facilities, different facilities all over New York, and they engaged with me to create a new amenity space for them in one of their main buildings on Lafayette, um, kind of downtown Manhattan. And I did a ton of trauma-based design research because to your point, you know, your environment is what lets you feel safe enough to sit down and eat, have a meal, like relax, read the newspaper and not feel attacked. So a lot of work went into the design of that space, even to lay out the seating so that nobody was back to back with each other. Mm. And also to accommodate seating where like, you know, you have uh, like long communal tables and then smaller tables that only seat two people and then a good number of tables that were single tables, because a lot of people who are using the facilities um, at the Bowery Mission do have some type of trauma, you know, in their past and don't feel comfortable maybe sitting down and eating a meal with a stranger. So a lot of time and effort went, went into that project, and it actually is turned out beautifully. Um, I used a lot of the same materials that I use in my high-end residential projects just, you know, applied to a different space. And um, the Bowery Mission does amazing work with their clients to make them feel safe and integrate them back into, you know, what we would consider a normal uh, routine. Mm. That's so, I, I again, I, we could go down a rabbit hole, but I, I, I think there is not enough thought given to, um, trauma-informed design, both both in physical space, but also in experiential space. You know, just from from work cultures to educational environments. Um, you know, something as simple as you know, at a pedagogical level, asking kids to do their lifeline uh, as a project can, for some kids, be the first time they've publicly talked about a horrible personal trauma in their lives. You know, and is that is that really what we want to do to, for kids in that environment? Um, so that I'm so, I'm so impressed and delighted that you actually went to that degree to look at trauma informed design for, for people in those kind of circumstances, because it, it operates at a pretty deep way. I think it, it genuinely does. And I will tell you that I have a very close family member who spent many years at a facility like that. So in addition to, you know, published papers and my own research, I sat down with him and had some really deep conversations about trauma and how it can affect you in a facility such as a homeless shelter. And I sat down with him with my floor plans, literally, and like went through this because I felt like I was being given a tremendous opportunity to impact the way that the most vulnerable in our population eat and live and move in a space like they're coming to a space to feel safe and they entrusted me with the job of making them feel that way right 
And you take that responsibility seriously, obviously. I I think that I do, yeah. <laughs> now, you've, you've mentioned elsewhere that your experience has helped you develop some leadership skills. And, you know, when I talk about building culture in organizations, I, I sometimes joke around and I often contrast, I'll say, like, you know, one of the values of excellence. Excellence in a creative services firm is very different from excellence maybe in an engineering firm. Uh, I used to be both a lawyer and a theater director, and leading lawyers is very different from leading actors. You've now built the business <laughs> that combines creatives and engineers. So I'm just like, how would you describe your leadership style in such an interesting hybrid organization? Because it's that you got the engineering mindset and the creative mindset, and they're they're not always perfectly aligned. They're not. I- I will tell you, like, I just, I talk to my staff a lot. Like if a client sends me an email, I mean, this, okay, 10 minutes ago, before we started, I got an email that was a little bit um, uh, jarring to me because a client was upset about something that they had paid for. And it, it took me by surprise. And I will take that email and read it out loud, literally. And be like, you know, what do you guys think? Do you think that he's mad because of this? Do you think that maybe something else happened and it really has nothing to do with the price of whatever this item was? And just that level of transparency, not only does it involve everybody, but everybody then understands what I'm doing. They understand the client's, you know, state and I think that we're better, we're able to better serve clients when we understand what's going on. Like, I know this is taking it into, into detail and maybe it's not answering the question exactly, but let me give you this example. If I didn't tell my staff that this had happened and this client was like a little pissed off for some reason, and five minutes later, one of them sent another invoice for something unrelated, the client would have a negative reaction to that. But because I keep everybody informed and it's like, you know what, he's upset right now. Like now is not a good time to send him invoices. Let's talk to him. And then we can, you know, once we're in a better place, then we can move forward and like service the rest of the project. But like, we all understand now that we're not going to send an invoice to a client who's upset about a previous invoice. So I think that just letting everybody understand what goes on in the projects, even to that level of detail helps the overall project does that make sense do you think team feel included right it gives them it gives them some autonomy and some decision making and some that you're trusting them with important information exactly as they should be no i love i love your definition of of design as as occupiable occupiable three-dimensional space i think that's really cool um i've often thought of entrepreneurship as an art form too that 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 an entrepreneur has a vision of something they want to manifest in the world and they have to marshal the energy, you know, resources to actually manifest that. Um, So I I think of designing a business and the way you think of designing a space and, you know, there's the business as it is now. And then there's the impact and desired lifestyle of the entrepreneur. And then there's the gap between those two, which is sort of like, there's the space you want to have. There's the space that now, and what's the piece in the middle. And the role of the design is to create that clear vision of the business that delivers that impact. And then the plan as to how to get there, Um, you know, and that has to take into account the constraints that exist and things like that. Right. In your case, it's space, regulations, budget, supply availability, 
um, in business, it's other kinds of constraints. So with that, I mean, that's a long intro, but I got a couple of questions around that from the business. What's, what's your vision for your studio over the next five years? So my vision is to continue to grow business, but in a limited way. I think that for me personally, I would like to get to a place over the next five years where I have less clients, less projects that are larger scale. Um, I think it's a lot better for me personally to work on projects, maybe three or four larger projects a year instead of 10 smaller ones. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it helps you um, develop a stronger relationship with your clients. I think that the staff stays involved um, you know, from beginning to end on like these other projects, I think it's a little bit more rewarding at the end of the day. Um, but you know, that's part of my vision. And then the other part is to develop a furniture and accessories line so that I can also be, um, selling like retail, you know, I designed so many custom pieces of furniture. And, uh, last year I kind of had like a, a light bulb moment where I was like, Karen, why aren't you selling this furniture? <laughs> that's smart. like it's already it's already here it's already so, there. Um, it's right it's already here so i said okay let's start i so i opened up another um a corporation and next year i'll be selling furniture and accessories cool good for you congratulations thank you exciting yeah i mean i think it you know when you're when you're creating these spaces and you're curating them with furniture and other pieces, accessories, art, whatever it is, you're curating from other resources, from other designers, which is great, of course. I mean, there's beautiful furniture out there, but sometimes you need something just like a little bit special or something to something that you can't find. And it's those pieces that I'd like to create and sell, you know, re- like retail. And will you keep it under your current brand or will it be a different brand altogether? I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure. Um, that's a, that's a question for my agent. We, we still haven't gotten to that part, to that part of the discussion yet. Oh, cool. I'll look forward to hearing what it is. Uh, now, one of the things I've observed is that I alluded to earlier, like entrepreneurship is a discipline unto itself, right? Just like design or engineering is. And one of the challenges I see is that folks get in entrepreneurship from another discipline and don't always dedicate themselves to learning the business disciplines, you know, financial management, strategic planning, risk analysis, culture development, sales management, customer experience design. For the vision of the next five years for you, what what business disciplines do you feel need to be introduced or refined in the organization? And, and there's a reason I ask this, that for, you know, like, hearing your story, you've obviously done a lot of things very well. And so for people listening, they may think, oh, geez, you know, this has been an easy ride for her. She got into a big firm and then jumped out, you know, and a lot of people that have this combination of impact and profitability can be daunting. Um, And so just even here, like, what are the things you're struggling with? What are the things that you still have to learn Uh, may actually help others see that, you know, it's it's a journey that it's, it's an ongoing journey that we all walk along. I think that, and you're a hundred percent right. I'm a designer, right? Like I am an artist who happens to have some 
business sensibility, but it's not great. Like I wasn't trained. I didn't go to school for business. So um, there are challenges. Uh, For example, you, you know, running your own books, like using QuickBooks. Oh my God. It's torture. I hate it. It took me. It's so bad. Like math is not my thing. QuickBooks has been a struggle for me. Um, and I have been doing my own billing for a while, but you know, I'm dedicating some resources now to having a bookkeeper, you know, do all of that. And I think in the next two years, I'll be looking for a management company so that clients will only deal with the billing through the management company and not directly with me because it takes up so much time, but you do need to build your resources in order to get to that place. Um, you know, cause it's expensive, honestly, to hire a management company to do that for you. Right. Yeah. Um, also, you know, you, you have to be paying an attorney. You need a business attorney. Somebody has to look at the contracts that you're signing. So, you know, that's another expense and that does take a lot of time from your day. So it's not like I'm just designing all the time as much as I would love to be. Uh, There's a lot of paperwork that goes into it. Writing proposals is a challenge for me. It's a lot of words. (laughs) It's a lot of words on paper. Um, You know, but I've gotten myself to a really good place where I have a very, very strong template now. Um, But my template for my proposals took 10 years to refine. Nice. I mean, hard, but nice. They must be, they must be solid. They are. (laughs) Um, But you know, those, those are challenges I think for any business, especially, you know, creatives and designers who are never told in school that if you want to run a business, there's actual business things that you have to do. Yeah, it is. It is its own discipline. And when people actually learn the discipline, it's funny. I always say what, what I find is a lot of people think that because there's risk inherent, inherent in business or because there's uncertainty about it, it's something you just kind of make up as you go along. But I always use the analogy that it's sort of like a poker game that a, a rookie, a rookie can beat a pro in a given hand, but a pro will always beat the rookie in the game. And Correct. even though there's uncertainty, there's still skill. And you have to develop the skills in order to win the game. So how do you, how do you cultivate those business skills? Like you've, you've clearly got some good relationship development skills as well as your technical design skills, but that, you know, the leadership skills, the financial skills, like just pricing a job to make sure it's profitable, um, marketing and, you know, sales skills. Well, how do you go about cultivating those extra disciplines? So I think that it's really important for everybody listening Um, If you are going into business for yourself, get yourself some amazing mentors. Go to people in the industry. Like, that's what I do. I have a group of people in this industry, and they are owners of construction companies. They are owners of development companies. They're owners of um, finance, like, um, you know, Financers who would like finance a residential development from all over the business, the money part of it, the design part of it, the construction part of it, a mentor from every facet of your business that you feel comfortable talking to and and receiving 
the knowledge that they have to give too. like if you're doing something wrong, you want to be corrected or if you can do something better, you have to be open to different ideas. So that's my strategy. I mean, that's how that's how I grow myself as a person. Right. Good for you. And just at a self-interested level, have you ever, uh, I'm always interested whether people do this and not people who talk about mentorship, have you ever engaged mentors professionally like coaches or advisors or that consultants or that kind of thing? I haven't actually. I mean, I have a financial advisor, I have an attorney, I have an agent, but you know, those people are effectively my mentors. Right. And then the, and then the other kinds of mentors in your industry. Now what's, so uh, what's next for you? Like in the next, you know, coming out of COVID times and all that kind of stuff, what's, what's the next big thing? So the next big thing for me is a really gorgeous new construction house. I'm not going to call it a house. It's a compound in Connecticut. And um, this, th- these, this particular couple, they went to a millwork vendor that I have a very good relationship with. Um, it's an Italian company. And they were doing the kitchen and maybe some like parts of the house through the contractor, but um, the couple really needed a designer to do the rest of the space. So they called me because they knew that I was into Scandinavian design and that's what they were looking for. Um, So, you know, like I had mentioned previously, 99% of the work that I do is word of mouth. So I got a phone call. Um, from this company that um, was supplying the millwork, and they asked me if I would meet with this client, and they are just the loveliest, loveliest people. So I'm really excited to be doing this new construction residential project. It's going to be really gorgeous. Um, And also, I've started collaborating with a very large architectural firm. They're called Buyer Blender Bell. They do massive, massive projects. They're very well known in the industry. Um, And they felt like they needed a little boost when it came to their interiors work that they were delivering. They're amazingly talented architects. Um, And they approached me and asked if I asked if I would collaborate with them on some of their larger projects to uh, drive the high-end interiors. And so I'm really excited about that collaboration because it means that I'll be able to work on some really big projects that otherwise I probably wouldn't be able to because my studio is is a small one, you know. Yeah, that's fantastic. So where where can you know if there are other architects or designers or those kinds of folks listening who would want to connect with you professionally, where can they where can they reach you? Instagram is the best place. It's Karen Espreya Studio, all one word. DM me. I'm happy to answer questions for people who are getting started. Uh, I think it's super important to have mentors. So if there's questions out there and I see them, I'm happy to answer them. Well, that's that's very kind of you. <laughs> any any last parting words of wisdom? I think I might have covered it all. Money is not the most important thing. Get yourself a mentor, several, and hire a good attorney. Those are <laughs> those are the three big ones. Good advice. Good advice. <laughs> Thank you so much for being in the spotlight. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Of course, you too, Warren. Thank you so much. Hi, it's Warren Coughlin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. 
If you're a successful values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoglin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's Warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag business that matters spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash a business that matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.